0: This is James Coover with K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District with your Extension Crop Report. And today's report is going to be devoted to entirely controlling just one very problematic weed in wheat fields in southeast Kansas, Italian ryegrass. Italian ryegrass is a winter annual grass commonly found in wheat fields, and especially in southeast Kansas. It is a prolific seed producer at thousands of seeds per plant and can take over parts of the wheat field. Besides a reduction in yield, it can also cause a dockage at the elevator. Italian ryegrass didn't used to be as much of an issue, but has developed resistances to our common wheat herbicides, which is why we need to use newer technologies to control it. Like any weed, insect, or fungus, their primary control is cultural, with crop rotation and planting into clean fields. Ryegrass does a little better with acidic soils, below a pH of 6.0, and also handles wetter soil better than our wheat, and often outcompetes it in wetter parts of the field. It really is no wonder that we have worse ryegrass problems in this part of the state, with our acidic soils and wet winters. Ryegrass can germinate after wheat is planted and makes a viable seed before the wheat is harvested, so the combine ends up spreading it farther. For the most part though, control is going to have some sort of chemical component to it. Much of the Italian ryegrass in this area is developing resistances to group 2 herbicides, which are ALS inhibitors such as finesse, olympus, osprey, and beyond. Group 2 ALS inhibitor herbicides are a big class though, so some in that family might work better than others on resistant ryegrass populations. New herbicide modes of actions, just as those in group 14 and 15, are needed and this includes herbicides of Zidua, AnthemFlex, and others. However, these have to be applied at the right time, shortly after wheat emergence in what is called delayed emergent herbicides. Also these herbicides are somewhat dependent upon weather for activation as well. True post-emergent control of Italian ryegrass is a little harder because we used to rely so heavily on ALS inhibitors that are no longer as effective, but still there are some options or at least some different ALS inhibitor herbicides. For certain though, attempting to control ryegrass in the spring shortly before wheat jointing with the same ALS inhibitor herbicide that didn't work last time, it won't work again. It is important to get control as early as possible. Something worth looking into is a new wheat system called Coaxium. Coaxium systems use a non-GMO wheat that is resistant to herbicide coisoflop, which is a group 1 herbicide that goes by the trade name aggressor. A study done at the Great Bend K-State Research and Extension Station shows feral rye control at the levels of 80-98% using the Coaxium system. It is still fairly new, so there are some questions that haven't been researched yet. But so far, the field and greenhouse studies look promising. This coaxium wheat system doesn't control broadleaves, however, but there are a number of broadleaf herbicides that can be used in conjunction. This is similar to the clear varieties that have been in the market for a little bit longer. No matter what is used, though, be sure to read the label and know the planting restrictions before the devil crop soybeans. There has been a good amount of research in Kansas and Oklahoma in controlling ryegrass and cheat in wheat fields but new herbicide resistances are showing up all the time. If you have any questions about controlling Italian ryegrass and your wheat, please give me a call at 620-724-8233. This has been James Coover with your Extension Crop Report. Next up, we'll have Wendy Powell, Livestock Production Agent for the Wildcat District.
1: Hi, this is Wendy Powell, your Livestock Production Agent with the Wildcat Extension District. Improving the genetics of a herd or a flock takes time. Herd performance evaluation is a tool to monitor improvement. The main traits to evaluate can be summed up in three points. Reproduction, is the female meeting the operations goals? Growth rate, are the offspring growing at an acceptable rate? And lastly, composition, are the animals in the condition needed for providing a satisfactory end product? These traits can be tools to guide the operations breeding program, selecting high-performing, high-quality replacement females, and calling animals with low-quality offspring. The key to comparing individual animals in a herd comes down to records: marking birth dates and gender, identifying newborns with a tag or tattoo, and noting their dam is the first step. It's also handy to know when the dam was born and identity of the newborn sire. Fast forward to weaning time. To compare apples to apples, weaning weights are collected and adjusted to an industry standard. The cattle industry standard weaning age is 205 days. For lambs and goats, the standard is 90 days. This adjustment removes the weight advantage of older offspring in a group weaned at the same time. Dams also need to be weighed. Producers can then calculate the percentage of the dam's body weight that's been weaned. For example, a 1,000-pound cow that weans a 500-pound calf is more efficient than a 1,400-pound cow that weans a 600-pound calf. Usually, as dam size increases, efficiency decreases. There's also a negative relationship between efficiency and break-even profit. As efficiency goes down, the cost of producing each pound goes up. The efficiency percent calculation is very important. A producer would more likely keep a replacement female that weaned 50% of her body weight rather than 42%. Adjusted weaning weights can also be used to compare females for maternal qualities and sires for offspring growth. Average daily gain is calculated by subtracting the birth weight and actual weaning weight, then dividing by the animal's age in days. Performance records are useful in evaluating the production level of a herd. The most easily used value is the adjusted weaning weight. Under field conditions, this is the primary indicator of herd performance. Other values that can receive consideration are conformation and hip height. Evaluation of herd performance records allows the producer to set goals for the herd and determine the direction of the herd breeding program. Strategically select herd sires that will improve growth rates and systematically call females that don't meet performance standards and keep females that do meet the standards. For more information, give me a call at the Labette County Extension Office, 620-784-5337.
0: Thanks Wendy! And now, here's Davin Scrantz, Natural Resource and Diversified Ag Agent with her report.
2: This is a David Strons, one of the agriculture and natural resource agents from the K State Research and Extension Wildcat District of Crawford, LaBette, Montgomery, and Wilson Counties, with your K State Research and Extension report. Bats are unique and interesting animals, with their nocturnal nature making them one of the more mysterious animals in Kansas. However, During this time of year, bats become more active, which means that homeowners and pet owners should take notice if bats are seen in their area. According to the Center of Disease Control, bats are the leading transmitter of rabies. Kansas State University veterinarian Susan Nelson states that because bats are more active this time of year, there is an increased chance of exposure to them. While bats are an important part of the ecosystem and most bats are harmless, it is important to remember that in certain situations, bats can be a threat to the health of both people and animals, and any contact people or animals have with bats needs to be taken seriously. If you find a bat in your home or on your property, Nelson recommends having the bat tested for rabies as a precaution in the following situations. When you are scratched or bitten by a bat, when you handle a bat with your bare hands, if you were to wake up and find a bat in your room, when unattended young children are found in the same room as a bat, when mentally disabled or intoxicated people are found in a room with a bat. If you find a bat in your residence, it is recommended that you carefully catch the bat without touching it and take it to your local veterinarian for rabies testing submission. Possible exposure to rabies is an urgent event, but not an emergency in most situations. This means that one can typically wait to receive post-exposure treatment until after the testing results are in. When it comes to pets, the best way to protect pets from bat exposure is to keep their rabies vaccinations current, Nelson said. Adding that is also important for indoor-only pets as bats are often found in houses. If there's a possibility a pet was exposed to a bat, it should be taken to a veterinarian within 96 hours to get a rabies booster if the bat was unavailable for testing. Nelson recommends. If the bat is available for testing, there's time to wait and see if a rabies booster is needed. It is important to respect bats and the role they play in the environment, but also take possible exposure to bats seriously. From the K-State Research and Extension Wildcat District, this has been Adavin Strauss with your K-State Research and Extension report.
0: Thank you, Adavin. And now, here is Jesse Gilmore with his report.
3: With K State Research and Extension's Wildcat District. This is Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's edition of The Hort Report. Grafting is the act of combining plant parts from two different individuals so that they form a new individual plant. Grafting can happen with woody plants or herbaceous plants, and the techniques will differ depending on which you want to try. Herbaceous plant grafting takes a lot more work and has a greater chance of failure, but the potential rewards are high if you can pull it off, especially if grafting tomatoes. You will want to graft herbaceous plants for one reason combining characteristics from two different varieties. Any graft is made up of rootstock and scion. The rootstock will typically have the qualitative characteristics such as disease and insect resistance, while the scion will be responsible for any production characteristics, mostly yield. Grafting requires connecting two pieces of tissue and giving them the best environment to fuse. The two things you want to look for in a good fusion are the same size of stems and cutting the stems at the same angle. Herbaceous grafts are typically held together by a silicone clip. After clipping, the grafted plants need to be put in a 90% plus humidity, room temperature healing chamber for a week in order for the graft to take. The plant should not be exposed to sunlight while healing, so that it undergoes minimal photosynthesis. This way, the plant can focus all of its energy on healing the graft. Once the graft has fused, you can then plant the tomatoes as you would normal transplants. Grafting woody plants has several benefits that grafting herbaceous plants does not, and is typically more successful thanks to less stringent healing requirements. Woody plants are grafted for a number of reasons. Plants that need to be clonally propagated to preserve desirable characteristics are often grafted. As are plants that do not grow true to type from seed, or that take a long time, or are often unsuccessful at rooting. Some plants will take unnatural forms when grafted. A good example of these are the tree rose and tree peony, both standard forms of traditional multi-stem shrubs. Lastly, grafting is often used in fruit trees to put multiple varieties on a single trunk or to provide a pollinator branch for those varieties that cannot self-pollinate. The whip and tongue graft is the most common technique used in woody plant grafting. This involves cutting the cambium at an angle in the same way you would for herbaceous plants. However, you add an extra slice to the tissue to create a little tab of wood on both the rootstock and the scion. These tabs will slide together which allows for greater tissue contact and makes the graft more likely to succeed. The cut is then surrounded by wet peat moss and covered with a plastic wrap until the tissue has had time to heal. You can often see the results of grafts at the base of any fruit tree that you have bought from a nursery or garden center. For more information on today's topic, contact your local Extension office. I can be reached at 620-724-8233 or by email at jr637 at ksu.edu. Once again, this has been Jesse Gilmore bringing you this week's horde Report.
0: Thank you, Jesse, and thank you for listening to K-State Research and Extension's Wildcat District Ag Team on KGGF 690 Radio.